morning. If you don't know who I am, I'm Shannon. Um, that's it. I just say my name, and I get that response everywhere I go. It's really nice. No, just kidding. Um, and I am very honored to pastor our women and our wellness center. Yeah. Love some girls. Love me, my girls. Um, so I did want to tell you something amazing, and I feel like I want to tell you this because you're a part of it. I just finished a three-day training. Um, for those of you who maybe don't know, the foundational program that we use in our wellness center is with the Trauma Healing Institute. And I'm a facilitator of that program, and we have uh, some amazing people here who are facilitators. And I was very, very fortunate to train some other people in other churches to take the program and use it. And I wanted to tell you because that wouldn't be happening had I not come to Crossroads and the Lord hadn't opened the door. So like you're a part of that. So there are some churches in Georgia that now get to take healing into their community and share it. And I'm so excited. So I wanted to tell you that. So if I, my eyes are crossed today and I, it's because I've been staring at a screen for three days. So I'm still recovering, but I'm great. I'm excited. I had some coffee. I'm good. Um, <laughs> and... We have been in a series the past few weeks, as you can see on the screen, God the Father. We've been studying the character of God, studying and understanding who is God. Who is this Father that we say we follow? We've studied his compassion, his grace, and his love. Today, I'm excited because I get to talk to you. We get to examine together his faithfulness. Specifically, though, if he's faithful, is he faithful, and can we trust him if that's true? And I'm, I have to say, like, Holy Spirit just kind of set us up. I was like, first what Rob said, and then we sang it. I'm like, all right, Lord, we're just, here we go. We're ready. Everyone's already primed and ready to hear this message. It's so cool when the Lord does that. Um, and I've been thinking over the past few weeks as we've been doing this series together, you know, my journey to the father heart of God, this idea of a father, it's been kind of slow and steady for me. Because my, my dad, my earthly dad, he was a deeply broken man. Um, and he caused me a lot of pain in life. So my view of a father heart was very skewed and not, it was very disjointed. My dad was the one to shatter my heart and I've spent years repairing that. So... I didn't have a lot of faith in the idea that I had a father. And when my healing journey began, which I share openly with you guys here about that, about 14 years ago, it was Jesus who, inter who, who came into focus for me. And Jesus I was cool with. Like, yeah, Jesus is my bro. He's my friend. Like, we're buds. I like Jesus. Yes. I didn't mind Jesus coming closer. He wasn't standoffish. He didn't seem to be like, you know, a taskmaster, none of those things. That was my beginning place for healing. It was Jesus. And that's always the beginning place for healing. And any kind of journey, it's Jesus. But I learned something in this process, and that is that Jesus is always going to be the bridge to get you to the Father. So when he first kind of started saying to me all those years ago, so, you know all those things you really like about me? Like, that's my dad, too. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm good. I was like, no, we're good. Let's just hang out here. It was scary. I was resistant. I had built up some walls against a father. I don't need a father. I tried that. It didn't work. And when Jesus tried to kind of speak those words at the beginning, it stirred up a lot of pain and confusion. But Jesus is very persuasive in his kindness, isn't he? He drew me close, and in that time, he promised me, and I had come to trust him, come to trust Jesus, and he said, if you will take my hand, I'll lead you through this labyrinth of your own heart and help you find my father. And I promise when you get to him, it won't be what you think it is. Now, how he did that, I'm going to circle back to in a little bit. So I know you're waited with baiting your breath. You're like, what did he say? We'll come back to that. We've been reading a passage every week in this series, and it's in Exodus 34. And it speaks to the very, this very thing, 
of understanding who God is as our father. So I love to unpack scripture. When you read scripture, it's super important to kind of take a step back and go, okay, what's happening? Because it's not, the, the Bible was not written verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's a story. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a story being told. So it's always good. Okay, what's the plot? What's the setting? What are the characters? What's happening in this moment? So I came to Exodus 34 and thought, okay, what's going on here? So basically what's happening is that Israel's getting a redo. Have you ever gotten a redo? Yeah, Israel's getting a redo. So God calls Moses up the mountain a few chapters earlier. He's like, come up here on the mountain. I'm going to give you some commandments, and then you can take them down to Israel. Well, it didn't go so well. So he did it, came down the mountain. Israel's worshiping a golden calf. Moses has an anger problem, so he throws the tablets down. (laughs) He does. It's true. The Bible says it. He's an angry guy. And so then God's like, well, come on back up the mountain. I got to give you some new commandments because you broke them. So that's what's happening here is that in Exodus 34, Moses has been called up for a second visit. So the very fact that this chapter exists proves that God is faithful. Because he had no reason to give Israel a redo. It only took them a couple weeks to forget that he had part the sea, that he'd given them a cloud by day and fire by night. All it took was just a little bit for them to go, we, we have to worship our own gods. He's abandoned us. So the very fact that Exodus 34 even exists tells us God must be faithful. So let's read it. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now I took time. As I said, I'm studying these scriptures, so I took time to compare this first encounter that Moses has on the mountain with this encounter. And I asked myself, well, what was different? What was different in those two encounters? Well, interestingly, the first time that God calls Moses up the mountain, he just kind of brings him into his cloud of glory, gives him the the commandments, and then Moses exits. The second time, is when God says this about himself. And I found myself going, well, why? Why did God choose the second time to say, hey, this is who I am? I don't know about you, but when I've messed up, I don't believe that God is those things. I don't struggle to believe this when things are great. I don't struggle to believe all these things about God when my life looks like it's going the way I thought it should go. It's when I have failed, or I think I have failed, or when I have sinned or even been sinned against, that's when I see those words and go, are you really those things? Now, I can't say why God didn't do it the first time. I won't try to read into scripture in that way, but I know him well enough to know why he did it the second time, because he knew that these children he had rescued out of Egypt needed to be reminded I'm the faithful one. I'm the faithful one. Because he knew that we have a tendency as humans to believe that his faithfulness hangs on our faithfulness. That it's like a contract. And he, doesn't, he wants us to understand that all of his faithfulness rests on his own shoulders. We're the ones that sin and doubt and run and hide. But he remains faithful. See, I thought about this as I was preparing. You know, Israel had been in bondage. They'd been enslaved, slavery. I mean, they've been in slavery for 400 years. That's a long time, okay? To give you some context, that's like longer than America has even existed. That's a long time. And so all of the children being delivered out of Egypt only know the life of slavery. They only know how to be a slave, Can I tell you something? Paul tells us in the New Testament 
we are born slaves to sin. We are born in death. And that's uncomfortable. And we don't like that. We're like, no, I don't want to think about being born to death and sin and death. We all have to make the choice, right, to follow Christ. That's what takes us out of slavery and death. So we actually have a whole lot in common with Israel. We actually have a whole lot in common. See, the children of Israel, even though they've been delivered out of Egypt in a rather extraordinary way, I don't know about you, but I think it's extraordinary, their mindset is still slavery. Well, what is the mindset of a slave? Well, a slave lives under a punishment and reward system. A slave doesn't have a relationship with their master. A slave doesn't trust their master. They fear their master. And just as Israel can't come out of their slavery mindset yet, they haven't done it yet, and we see, if you read the Old Testament, they pretty much revisit it a lot. They go back to that mindset a lot. But friends, this is the same mindset that we have to fight as the children of God who have been rescued out of our Egypt. See, the slavery mindset tells us God only cares about good behavior. He's he's faithful if I do the right thing. Slavery mindset tells us it's not a relationship, it's a rule book. God has a list and I just need to check it off. Slavery tells us we are to be terrified of God, not trust him. Why would a slave want to trust a master? You don't trust, right? You fear. Friends, if we don't believe that we're sons and daughters ransomed into the family of God, then we're never going to be able to trust God. Because the only alternative is slavery. We're either sons and daughters or we're dead in our sin and our slavery. It's a pretty black and white message, right? The things that we say in this, in this place of question, and I don't know if this is, you know, God, uh, is, well, it's up to me to make it happen. I got I to gotta do it. Or how about this one? God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Guess what? I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I looked. I'm like, is it in there? Nope, it's not in there. I find the opposite of that. I find story after story of broken, weak, angry, deliverer, all these things that don't seem to measure up to what God would expect, and yet he comes in. He comes in and does the work because the story we're reading in Scripture is not our story. It's his story. It's not how do we engage with God, it is how he is engaging with us. When you read the Bible, you're not reading it to figure out who you are. I got news for you, we haven't changed. There, spoiler alert, we haven't changed. We have fancy phones now, that's it. And we drive cars instead of horses and chariots, that's it. God said in Exodus 34, the other thing he says, which maybe you read that part, and you're like, well, that makes me uncomfortable where he said that the guilty don't go unpunished because he's saying we are slaves outside of his will, of his redemption. That's the only alternative. And so he's saying, if you don't choose this, which you get to do, you get to choose. If you don't choose this, yeah, there's gonna be punishment because God is a God of justice. If we... Jump ahead to Deuteronomy. God has been, you know, that's like, so it's Genesis, Exodus, Vegas, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I only have a few memorized. I can't go much further than that. So there's a story that's been unfolding, right, for Israel. And if we get to Deuteronomy 7, this actually is God reminding the Israelites why he rescued them. Seven. Chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, it says, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God, and he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his command. That's the straight out of God's mouth. Why did he rescue Israel? He's like, it wasn't because you looked pretty. It wasn't because you were mighty and strong. You were the smallest nation, the most oppressed nation. I didn't do it because of you. I did it because of me. That's what God is saying. I did it because of my love, and I made an oath. I made a promise to your ancestors, and I keep my promises. I've seen in my own life that my ability to trust God is completely wrapped up and whether or not I believe that he rescued me just because he loves me. The moment I start thinking that he rescued me because I did something right, somehow I got in, I checked off enough, the moment I think that, I lose my ability to really put my trust in God because I've just taken that mantle back on myself and said, well, I gotta do it. Everybody has a shadow. And I don't mean the literal shadow because we do have that too. But everybody has some shadow. There's something that was, whether it was taught to you as a child, through an experience, through trauma, there's something that it's going to always be there wanting to creep up over your shoulder and tell you what to think and how to act. Mine is performance. Because I grew up in the church, practically born at the church, literally my whole life. Yet behind closed doors, it was chaos and dysfunction. But what I was taught is as long as what you have going on out here looks good, don't worry about what's going on on the inside. So I learned growing up that my performance is what God is looking for. He's done a massive amount of work in my life, and I don't believe that anymore. But I will tell you that that shadow, it it props up. He's given me the tools now that I go, I don't want to hear what you have to say. But I know that the shadow is going to pop up and it's going to tempt me to believe maybe this is happening because I didn't do something right. Maybe I'm in this place because God's chosen. He's, maybe he's kind of like changed his mind. I have to tell myself, well, actually, I have to tell that shadow, no, that's not the truth. He's faithful. He's faithful. And it's never been about how I perform or what I do. That's not why he's faithful. He's faithful because it is who he is. Friends, I didn't know 14 years ago that I needed help. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking, is there anybody that wants to counsel me? He put someone in my face that said, you might need to get some help for the things you've suffered. And I said, yes, which was the choice I made, but I didn't go after it. He pursued me because he is faithful. Yeah. That's right, buddy. Say it. Preach it. So now, all these years later, I love to talk about the Father heart of God because I get excited about unpacking what I have discovered. He's now my papa. I don't just go, he's my father. He's my papa. He's proven himself to me. He has proven himself to me to be faithful. He chased me down with redemption and restoration. He reached into a pit I didn't even know I was in, and he pulled me out before I even knew what had happened. But here's the thing, friends. I do remember, and I know what it feels like to think about this stuff. You see on the screen, he's not angry. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's full of love and faithfulness. I know what it's like to sit here and hear that and go, I don't know. Maybe for them, but I don't know if that's true for me. If you say you've never had that thought, I don't believe you. We all have some point in our life questioned, is it true for me? Is he that to me? I think he has favorite kids and I'm probably not one of them. I know that this is not an, uh, I know that we've all struggled with this because it's not new. Because the enemy since the garden, his number one mission is to steal your identity. If he can make you believe God isn't who he says he is, and you aren't who God says you are, then he can destroy your life. 
What did he do with Eve? Did, did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? That was the first lie. And then, I mean, you could be something different than what he said, maybe. Like, you could be your own God. The serpent came to steal Eve's identity and create confusion. So I know we all have this struggle, whether it's this heavy struggle you're facing now or you faced it in the past. We all question, is he really a papa? Is he, though? Obviously, it's a lie when you hear the words, he doesn't apply to me, he doesn't love me that way. But the question we ask is, well, how do we defeat that? Because I know, if I just said to you, just trust God, that doesn't, doesn't work, right? Just trust God. How do we defeat that lie and move away from it? We do it by digging into the painful things that have taught us lies about God. See, we don't mean to, friends, but this is what we do. It's not on purpose, but we allow people to define God instead of allowing God to define man. We say, well, these people hurt me, so that must be how God is. My dad abused me and said he loved me, but, he, but so maybe God's saying he loves me, but he doesn't actually love me. That's what we accidentally do, is we let man define God. So I told you I'd come back to, how did Jesus help me with so many lies, so much that I had to unravel and unpack? Well, he showed me a picture, and it was a box. And he said, Shannon, you have put my dad in a box. And you've put all these labels on the box because of your experiences. You've said he's angry, he's absent, he's he's a rule maker, he he doesn't love me, he doesn't care, he's angry, he's a taskmaster. You've put God in that box and you walk around with God in that box. And you go, yeah, I, I I love God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and God, we're in relationship. He's right here, see? And Jesus said, if you'll let me, I'll sit down with you and we can unpack every one of those labels and we can rip them up and get rid of them. And I can show you the truth. And it was hard. I'm not gonna pretend with you that it wasn't. It was such a revelation that I even wrote a little, my first little book I ever wrote was called My God Box. I know you're all frantically now going to your phones to purchase it. It's not available, so don't try right now. I'm rewriting it because it's the first book I ever wrote, and I'm like, I've learned a little bit since then. I'm going to redo this. <laughs> but it was, it was life-changing when Jesus gave me this picture and said, we can, take the, we can take care of this. And one by one, he helped me unpack every single one of the labels I had put on who I thought God was based on the pain and the lies I believed. And you know what happened? After a while... I couldn't fit him in here anymore. As the labels came off, I realized he is way too big. And so the box had to go because there wasn't room in the box for who my papa was. And so I had no box now. I have no box because he's way bigger than I could ever fit in a box. And every single lie that I have believed about him, Jesus helped me unpack so that I could walk across the bridge and get to who God the Father is. We cannot believe that God is worthy of trust if we think him small enough to fit in our little boxes based on all our little experiences and the things that have caused us pain. If we're letting that define who God is, he's not faithful. If you're gonna believe in God's faithfulness, you have to start at the place that he is too big for me to put in a little box. See, trust, it demands something of us, doesn't it? When I say trust God, it requires something of us. It's scary. That was not easy for me. I had to go back to things that I'd rather not remember, but Jesus was faithful to me to take me there and go, you remember that? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm crying about it right now. And he's like, okay, let's talk about it. That did happen, it did hurt, it wasn't right, it wasn't my father's heart. Here's what my father says about that. And one by one, so I know that it's hard, friends, and it's a journey that you have to commit to. 
but I have learned that he is worthy of trust. Has everything looked like I thought? (laughs) No, not even close. If you had told me and Alan that we were going to move to Utah, we would have laughed in your face. That did not fit the plan I was putting together, which is what I'm finding is most people who move here. None of us had it in our radar. We're like, Utah? What is that? So he's done things in a way that I did not expect. It's not like, oh, now the box is gone and I understand everything. Wouldn't that be great? It's not how it works. There are personal promises that God's given me that I still carry, and I go, I do not even remotely understand how you're going to do that. It's like looking at a Red Sea and going, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? I don't want to drown. I'm still waiting on some of the things that he's promised. Some of them have come to pass, and it took way longer than I thought it would. But I know that he's faithful. I review his faithfulness in my life in the days and the moments when I want to tell him he's not being faithful. I stop and go, I remember when I was here and you did this. And then I was here and you did this. Because God's track record is one of trustworthiness. Faithfulness is not in our nature, friends. Hate to break it to you. We're not faithful. We're flawed and we live in a sinful world and we, we are infiltrated with that sin. And so we are not the faithful ones. The only way that we're able to be faithful is through the power of God's spirit in us. And the only reason we have the power of God's spirit is because King Jesus is faithful and he chose the cross. It all comes back to God, right? You can't even be faithful without him. I am here before you today because of God's faithfulness to heal past trauma and pain that I never wanted to talk about. You are here in this seat today because God is faithful. And maybe you're like, I just showed up. Who are you? I don't even know why I'm here. I got some news for you. You're here because God is faithful. You didn't just happen to show up. You didn't just happen to come across Jesus. You didn't just happen to hear a message from somewhere sometime that told you that Jesus is the way. God in his faithfulness made sure you heard it. God in his faithfulness made sure you got here today. To say that someone is trustworthy is to say that they are worthy of trust, right? Friend, God is not the person who hurt you deeply. He's the papa who wants to heal. God is not the person who spoke lies over you. He is the papa speaking truth over you. God is not the one against you. He's the one that is for you. He is as much for you as he was for the rebellious, stiff-necked children of Israel. He said those words, not me. (laughs) Next time Alan is annoying me, I'm going to be like, could you stop being so stiff-necked? I'm sure that will go over so well. Alan's never a stiff-necked person. He would be saying that to me. I know that to be true. It's fine. I was like, wow, you said that, God. You called them stiff-necked. He was a little frustrated with these kids who would not trust him, right? And when you read the story of Israel, because here's what you need to understand. That is our story. God wanted a blueprint to show this is how I interact with humanity. And so he has this little tiny nation, and he's been walking along the side of this nation. That's what you're reading about. And you see it over and over in the prophets, in everything. God going, remember who I am. Remember who I am. Write it on your doorpost. Put, he actually said, put it on your forehead, which we are like, that sounds so dumb. And then you realize, oh, well, I do forget a lot. <laughs> so maybe that's a good idea. I'm going to go with my mirror, not my forehead. <laughs> I'm going to write it on my mirror. Because God is the worthy of trust in this situation. He's the one that we can turn to. So one of the ways, this is super exciting, and I love that this wove itself into this message. One of the ways that we see in the Bible that people give God their trust is through lament. Now, maybe you're like, that is weird. What are you even saying? 
You might think it's odd, but it actually, lamenting is grieving. It is openly giving our grief to God. And it actually takes great vulnerability to lay out your complaint, to lay out your heart's cry to God. It takes courage to say, this is happening and I don't know if I can trust you. It takes courage. Did you know, you might not have known this, that there are over 100 of the Psalms that you read and they are classified as laments. And I remember when I first learned this, which just a little plug, trauma healing, that's where I learned it. (laughs) I remember going to some of those Psalms and being like, oh yeah, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Because I read that, I'm like, bro, you need to get it together. Like, you're screaming at God, David. Most of them are David. I did. I would read those and be like, I'm uncomfortable with this. Like, we don't do that to God. But what I've learned is that it is precious to God when we lament. So we're going to read Psalm 77. Y'all, get ready. It's awesome. And we're going to read it in the message starting in verse 1. This is what it says. I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. I found myself in trouble And I went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. My friends said, everything will turn out all right. And I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and I shake my head. I bow my head and then I wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute. Don't know what that is. Maybe it's a flute. All through the night. Wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stopped off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God retires just the moment I need him. That make you a little uncomfortable? Yell at God? Shake your head at him? Question him? Here's what you need to understand. These are not the words of a slave to a master. These are the words of a child to a papa. This is what someone can do when they know who they are in Christ. They can give their pain to the only one that can heal it. And this is what, after he's kind of, you know, word vomited, that's what he did. Verse 11 and 12, he says, once again, once again, I'll go over what God has done. I will lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. The psalmist has rendered his heart in lament. He has laid it out. No excuses. And then he follows it up with, I'm going to remind myself, even though I feel that way right now, and these are the things swirling inside of me, I'm choosing to remind myself of who you have always been, the things you have done. This teaches us, this psalm and this concept of lamenting, it teaches us two things. It is not a lack of trust to lament our pain. It's actually a precious step of trust that you would share that most tender place inside of you with God the Father, with Papa. He treasures it. This was my journey. I didn't know how to call it this back all those years before, but that's what it was. I had to go back and I had to go, why did you let that happen? It makes me angry that you let that happen. It's not fair. I didn't deserve it. I had to do all of that. And he took all of it And he wasn't afraid. He wasn't offended. He didn't turn around. The other thing that this teaches us is that we must remind ourselves of what God has done. How many of you know when life is hard, we forget, right? When we're in pain, we forget the good things. It's kind of like when you get a stomach bug. The day before, you loved chocolate cake, but when you get that stomach bug, you're like, oh, doesn't sound good in the moment because you're in pain, right? We do that with God. In the moment of pain, I don't think you're here. 
You've left me. And just like a loving papa, he goes, come on over, have a seat. Let's talk. If your child ran in the house to tell you that someone had hurt them and they're in tears and they're trying to get it out, are you going to go, would you just get over it? I mean, maybe if they're 12 and they're hormonal. (laughs) I haven't done that. I've thought it, but I haven't said it. I'm like, this is not important, but I understand that it's important to you, so I'm going to listen. God doesn't do that. God is always ready to hear what's causing you pain. He's always ready to listen to your hurt because you actually, in his eyes, you're not much bigger than that cute little six-year-old running in to tell you what is upsetting or that cute little 12-year-old that's running in to tell you how upset they are. That's how he sees you because you're a kid in his eyes. You're a child. And he wants you to tell him about the things that have hurt And what we, a lot of times, instead of lamenting our pain and trusting him with the things that are on our box, we make idols so that we can avoid the things that have caused us pain. We look for other ways to fill that place that hurts. And I'm not just talking, I know when we say idols, we think of some, and there's a lot of things. We think of the bigger, maybe like, you know, well, maybe you would literally think of a golden calf. But there's so many ways you can have an idol in your life. Your job can become an idol. Well, I have all this unanswered pain. I don't know what to do with it, so I'm just going to throw myself into a 60-hour work week. Because if I don't stop and rest, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to wonder if God's faithful. I just do my job, do my part, get it done. I don't have to ask him any questions. There's a whole lot of ways that we can build idols in our life instead of trusting God with our pain. God is asking, will you just give me your pain and then will you take a long look? Just take a look at what I have done. Remind yourself, because if you are alive and breathing, God has been faithful to you. If you are alive and breathing, and I hope everyone in here is, then you are the product of God's faithfulness. Like I've already said, the reason that God cannot be faithless is because it's not like, faithfulness is not something that God's like growing in. It is literally who he is. He is the definition of faithfulness. The word that the Hebrews use in the original language is emet, E-M-E-T. And it actually combines the word faithful and true. So they're saying, when they write this word to describe God, they're saying he is faithful and therefore he is trustworthy, all in one word. Because he's proven himself over and over and over. And listen, friends, I know that what we've all endured for the past two years, the chaos we've experienced, plus what would be normal life experiences, I get it. We've all got some stuff we need to get out. We've all got some unanswered questions. We've all got some pain that, and maybe you've been coming for the past few weeks and it's like right here. I remember how that felt. The pain's right here. And you're like, I don't want it out. I don't want to let it out. I don't want to let it out. And so you just shove it back down each Sunday when you leave. And then you get here and I don't want to let it out. And you shove it back down. Can I challenge and encourage you to let it out today? We already did a little bit. I love that the Lord set that up when Pastor Rob said, you know, literally that's what he asked. You got some pain. And I've watched in the room as people let tears flow, which is that way. That's one of the signs that we're letting that out. I didn't want to just come up here and tell you, God's faithful. Here's your 10 steps to believe it because it doesn't work. The only way that you can come to believe any of the things on that list about God is if you engage with him at the most honest level, at the most, the darkest place in your life, that's the place you have to go if you want to come to the place that you go, he's my papa and he is faithful to me 
So I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. Super exciting because I had it in my heart. I was like, I, you know, we're, we close out with a song and I was like, oh man, I really love to like do a song about God's faithfulness. And I had a song in my heart, but I don't know enough about, you know, the coordinating of the worship that I didn't wanna like throw a song at them. So I sent Sarah a text. I'm like, hey, I would really love it if we could just do a song about God's faithfulness. And she's like, what about yes and amen? I'm like, that's the song that is in my heart. That's when you know it's Jesus. Because here's what the Lord showed me. So we're gonna, we're gonna do something. I don't know. I think you guys can, I, I was gonna say it's uncomfortable, but it's not uncomfortable. We're past uncomfortable here, aren't we? It's not uncomfortable. Yeah, say that loud, Sarah said. I think there's two different things we could be dealing with today. You could either be here and you're like, oh, wow, yep, I got some stuff right here trying to come out. It started when Pastor Rob forced me to pray. <laughs> it started to ooze out and I kind of got control again and, and put it back where it goes. But man, I need, to, I need to give it, I just need to get it out. So there's probably some of us in that camp and there's probably some of us that you've, maybe you're like, yeah, no, I, I get that. I've lamented, I've lamented. So you're maybe in, that, in the second part of that Psalm where you're like, I'm going over the acts of God. I'm reminding myself as I walk this out that he's faithful. I'm, I'm reviewing what he's done in the past. And you just need to be able to like sing loud and proud and confess it, that God is faithful. So I kind of got a, a, a picture in my mind as I was preparing of how we could do this. Um, so I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. And I just have this awesome picture of this being a really awesome family moment where we kind of come in tight around the worship team and do this together, confess God's faithfulness together. And I wanna encourage you if you, are, if you are the one that needs to get some pain out, then I wanna encourage you to get on your knees and do it. And if you're the one that just needs to loud and proud say, I know what's true, then get up here and sing with the worship team and let's declare together. The song we're singing says, I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I am not confident because I know what's up. I'm confident because you know what's up. And I'm gonna trust in that rather than myself. So if you wanna come, young people, y'all better get up here. Because you know what this is. Get up here, young people. And let's worship together the King of Kings. And if you've got pain, give it to him today. Say it like the psalmist. Tell him that you're angry, that you need him to help you, that you don't understand. He wants to hear all of it. Go ahead, worship team. Savior 
to the Papa heart of God. And I ask, Father, that those in the room today who have taken the brave step of letting the pain out, maybe it was just a little bit today. Maybe there's more to come. For a fact that you will come and you will sit with us at that dark place and you will walk with us through it. You will not abandon us. You will receive all of our complaints, all of our question, all of our doubt. You will absorb it all into yourself and you're not afraid of it. So I ask that you would fill them with courage to continue to be vulnerable with Papa, the only one that can heal it. And I ask that those who have, have taken the step to confess with their mouth and faith what they know, even though they're not seeing it, but they're saying, I know it's true. I know how delighted you are in that. Watching your kids talk about how good you are and how faithful you are. And so I know that you're gonna honor the words that they're singing today, the words that they're speaking, because they're putting their faith in you. They're trusting you. And we don't know how it's all gonna turn out. We don't know where things are gonna go. We don't know what is around the corner, but we don't have to walk in fear of that because you have proven yourself faithful so we can trust you and we will choose to trust you. Remind us of who you are. Put it on our doorposts, on our mirrors. Let it be everywhere we look, we see reminders of your faithfulness. We thank you for loving us the way that you do, the way that only a good papa can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, friends, for coming. You guys have a blessed Sunday. We'll see you back here next week.